0: Good morning. How is everyone today? You're up. Your alarm went off. That's good. How many people thought they were coming to first service and they found out, wait, this is second service? Anybody? Okay. Okay. That's good. I never sleep well on the spring forward thing. I wake up like four or five times checking my, did my phone reset? Did my phone reset? It's no good. you guys feel that by the way air yeah. okay wasn't here last week yeah. are you guys here for that okay thanks for coming back it was like 80 degrees in here when we finished up last week it was the closest i've ever come to interrupting a sermon to uh throw something at the thermostat <laughs> It was amazing that was amazing the children's worker said we opened up the door and like the the windows fogged up for real no exaggeration so your skin looks great this week good job <laughs> Well, we're going through uh, the book of First Corinthians. You can turn there, First Corinthians seven. Last week we left off. We'd gone through uh, verses ten through sixteen last week, and as the uh, the end of that, um, we're we're talking about marriage and kind of this whole section of of chapter seven is marriage, and then uh, talking about singleness in Christ, and we're going to talk. Uh, we talked again about marriage last week. We're talking about singleness in Christ again and marriage again. And so this whole chapter, long chapter of chapter 7, is, is talking about relationships and marriage and singleness and all of that. What do we do with that in Christ as a believer in Jesus Christ? What do we do with all of that? Okay. And then specifically last week, as we kind of finished up uh, through verses 12 through 16, uh, it, was, it was this issue where um, you have two people who are married, And one of them comes to know Christ and is a believer and they're married to a person who doesn't come to know Christ. They don't believe the gospel. They're not following Jesus. And so Paul's responding to this circumstance of what do we do now? How do we respond to that? Should I, as a believer, now that I'm married and and I've come to know Christ and and my spouse refuses to, to believe in Christ, what do I do now? Do I leave them uh, to glorify God, do I, do, I, do I bail on the marriage and, and and seek your glory? And Paul says, no, 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 no. remain. Stay as, as much as is possible with you. Stay there as it depends on you. Stay in the marriage. Be what I've created you and co- called you to be in marriage. And, and and so coming from there, Paul's responding from that and kind of taking this digression from that into these next verses. He's going to jump back into the singleness and mar- marriage thing. Um, but in that, he's, he's going to address the broader picture of that. So we come to Christ, and what do we do now? And, and, and if we can just kind of put ourselves into the thinking at the time that he wrote this letter, I mean, imagine the gospel is just going forward with power. People are coming to know Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, and, and so people are coming to know Christ as, as he had promised from, from now different tribes, different people. And so uh, we have Gentiles coming to know the Lord, Samara- Samaritans who are coming to know the Lord, and, and Jewish people who are coming to know Christ. And, and the church is exploding. And so naturally some of these questions are going to come up. Right, the question that he addresses last week of, "I'm married to an unbeliever, what do I do?" But but also questions beyond that of, "Okay, I'm 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 in this kind of circumstance with life, or I'm this kind of a person. This is the culture I come from. Do I do I bail on that? What do I do with that now that I'm in Christ to live for the glory of God?" And that's kind of what Paul's going to address here. There's these natural questions that are going to have come up as, as God saves people from every kind of people group. And so Paul's kind of addressing in the midst of that the issue of contentment. So, so what do I do with who I am and where I have come from and where I am? What do I do with that now that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ? So often, um, you may have said this, you may have heard this, but so often our thinking will gravitate towards if I could just change the things on the outside, the external things. If I could just change my circumstances, well, then I could live for the glory of God better. God would be glorified more through me if I could just figure out how to switch these external things. If I could get a better job or if I could uh, do this or whatever it is, if I could just change this, if I could manipulate these things or get this to change somehow, well, then I could live better for the glory of God. And Paul is saying in this whole section, no, 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 What makes things better is the change that takes place on the inside, not any change that we might be able to make on the outside. Christ makes things better. Christ is what changes things. And so that's what he's going to address here in these verses. So let's stand together. We're going to read verses 17 through 24 you can follow along as I read. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. And to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything. "...nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price." do not become slaves of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Jesus. The word made flesh, dwelt among us. Thank you, Jesus, for living a perfect life, for being our example and for being our substitute. Thank you for coming and dying and for those of us who have believed in you trusted in you for taking our sins upon yourself and for crediting us with your righteousness jesus thank you we want to live in response to that your calling lord is gracious is undeserved and so let that be our focus as we go through these verses help us to have ears to hear from you In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. If you notice, as we go through uh, these verses, we have eight verses that we just read through. Three times in the eight verses, Paul kind of makes this statement of, of his main point through this and what he's trying to get across to the Corinthians and to us. Verse 17 is the first time he makes the point. It's only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. He reiterates that in verse 20. He says each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And then again in verse 24, brothers, in whatever condition each was called there, let him remain with God. So this is kind of his point that he's driving home through all of this. Whatever your circumstance, whatever your condition was when Christ called you, when he saved you, remain there. Serve him there. Glorify him there. That's his point as we're going through this. Remain in the condition in which you were called. And as we go through it, in in these eight verses, Paul uses the word for called nine times. Okay, So throughout this, we want to clue in on that. If Paul says something over and over and over and over through eight verses, if he says the same word nine times, we probably should take a hint. This is important. This is where our heart should be. This is what the focus should be. And the word that he uses nine times in one form or another is called. Call, calling, called. Throughout this this passage, just over and over, your call, your calling, your call, your calling. Eight of those times refers to divine calling from God. The the calling from God, the calling where the Holy Spirit draws us and puts us into fellowship with Christ. This divine calling. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 9 in 1 Corinthians, it's what Paul's talking about here. God is faithful by whom... You were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. That glorious calling where God pulls you towards him, grants you with faith and and creates this relationship because of what Christ has done with him. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. It goes on in verses 23 and 24, the same thought, but we preach Christ crucified. This is still chapter one. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So we know from that it's not this like general call of preaching. It's not just that preaching is going out and people are being called to come and surrender their lives to Jesus. No, he he makes a distinction there. He says the preaching is happening. Some reject it, but to those who are called is the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. And so it's this this calling from God where he looked at the corpse that was our soul and spoke, breathed life into it, saying to us, live, and we awaken to who he was. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 tells us what happens there. um, For... uh, What is that? You can yell it out. I don't care. For God, thank you. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. His call in our hearts, in our lives. And that's what he's focusing on eight of the nine times in this. Not this general call, but the drawing of the Holy Spirit where he spoke to our hearts, live, and we came alive in Christ. The other, the the, the other, the ninth occasion in it, it's not the last one, but in the midst of it in verse 20, is actually translated condition. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And you may have a note in the bottom of your Bible that says next to condition, calling. And so the the verse is each one should remain in the calling in which or from which he was called. So whatever that calling is, whatever that is, he says in verse 17, whatever that assignment is from the Lord for you, you should remain in that calling, that condition in which you were awakened to the glory of God. And what I'm hoping is, as we go through this, that we don't miss that point, that we don't miss the emphasis that Paul's making through this whole thing. It's all about calling. It's all about what God did internally. It's not about the outward circumstances. And if we gravitate towards, "I, I understand, but I just want to change these things and it would be better. We're missing it. We're missing what we have in Christ and this great call that he has awakened us to who he is. This passage is, is really where the idea of vocational calling has come from. I've been called to this place. I've been called to this place. That's where people pull that from is, is, is in these verses. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned for him. So Paul says there in verse 17, God has assigned you to a place. Wherever the Lord has assigned you, lead that life. understand that God saves people. He calls people to himself from all different places, all different locations, all different circumstances, all different kinds of lives. Paul says, serve the Lord. Lead that life. What matters is your heart. God has a purpose for you in the situation that he has called you from. What matters is what he's done in your heart. What matters is what's inside. It's not your earthly position that matters, but What matters is what God has done in you, your spiritual position in Christ. So we don't get saved and then say, God must have something better for me. And I believe that that would be or that is whatever. He's already given you something better. He's given you Christ. He called you. He called you. Ephesians says you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive in Christ Jesus. It doesn't get better than that. We shouldn't look for the outward and say, this could be better. It can't get better. You were dead. Now you're alive. The call of God has taken place in your life. Rejoice in that. Be content with that. Paul says, this is my rule for all the churches. So this is not just encouragement for those in Corinth. This is his rule for all the churches, he says. Assignments from the Lord differ. He has assigned you to a place he hasn't assigned me, and he's assigned the person next to you to a place he he hasn't assigned you or me. But his call is the same. He's called us. He's awakened us to his glorious grace. To address this, to explain this, Paul uses the two most divisive issues in the church and culture. So that we can't walk away and say, well, we don't understand my circumstance. Paul uses the two most divisive circumstances in the church and culture, circumcision and slavery. I mean, if, if there were anything that divided people, it was those two things. Circumcision was this barrier between cultures. The Jewish people, you read through Acts and even you come to Acts 15 where you have the Jerusalem Council and they're making a decision on what do we do? What do we what do we say to the Gentiles? Because the Jewish people are thinking these Gentiles might profess Christ, but they don't have the marks outwardly of being in Christ. And so unless they're circumcised, they can't be saved. And so the Jerusalem council comes together and they're making a decision on this. What do we do? What do we say? And they they come to this decision. Well, we don't think we should put on them the burden that we couldn't bear ourselves. But even after that, we see in Scripture that there's still this debate and this tension. And certainly that was going on in Corinth. And slavery, the greatest social barrier that that he could have addressed... Paul addresses these two issues as he challenges us to lead the life that God has assigned to us. And so let's look at verses 18 and 19. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. Four. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Paul says in this letter, circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Now, I don't think we get that with the same pain or punch that the Corinthians get that. When they received this, this was a massive statement. What do you mean it's nothing? It's everything. Circumcision, non-circumcision is everything. How can you say it's nothing? That Circumcision was the distinguishing characteristic of the Jews. Uncircumcision of the Gentiles. How can you say it's nothing, Paul? Paul says it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. If you were at the time... Of your calling, if at the time you were saved, you were circumcised, that's fine. Don't seek to be uncircumcised. I got a question, okay, at the end of the sermon last week, or last, last service. And I wasn't even going to address this, but someone asked, so okay, I'm going to do it. How in the world? Like, someone's like, what are you talking about? What's Paul talking about? How do you remove the marks? There was a procedure that some of the Jews would actually go through to remove the appearance of them being circumcised so many see the faces that you made that's why I wasn't going to go there all right they did paul says if you were at the time of your calling uncircumcised that's fine too don't be circumcised now imagine just how that must have hit them I mean, this is a huge barrier to them what paul's saying is those things don't matter your cultural differences don't matter What does matter is your call and the fruit of that call, which is obedience. That's what he says in verse 19. Neither circumcision counts for anything. It's nothing. Nor uncircumcision. It's nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is everything. It doesn't matter your cultural background. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter. Those things don't matter. Have you been called? And is the fruit of the call evident in your life? Are you obeying? Such a beautiful picture in, in Revelation seven. starting with verse uh, nine. just verses nine and 10. So John's writing this. It says, "After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation." From all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the picture that Paul is referring to. God is calling people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every language, such a... just. As you think about when we stand before the Lord, we are going to be surrounded not with one culture, not with one Jewish people, not with one white person, not with one yellow person, not with one black group of people. It's just one mass of every tribe, every tongue. God is calling from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And the focus of those people in Revelation 7 is not on themselves. It's on God. Worthy is the Lamb. Blessed be God who has saved us from every people group. Paul's saying your cultural differences do not matter at all. The Lord is calling from every tribe. Whatever tribe you were when he called you, rejoice in that. Don't seek to change that. Rejoice and obey him. You are a part of a great congregation from every tribe, every tongue. Obey him. Obey him. What matters is obeying God's commands, he says in verse 19. Keeping the commandments of God is everything. Your cultural background is nothing. Stay who you are and obey God. Now, what does it mean to obey God? Well, we know Jesus told us this is. Umbrella over the commandments, the greatest commandments. Love God with your heart and soul and mind. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, he says, For in Christ, the same thing he's saying to the Corinthians, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. That's what he's saying in, in, in Corinthians. Where you come from, your culture, that's not what matters. Are you in Christ and are you obeying him? Are you loving God with your heart, soul, and mind? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Faith working through love. Verse 20, Paul restates his point. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. He goes on, verse 21, were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called as a slave of Christ, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Now some of you may read through that, it doesn't hit you much at all. Yeah, that makes sense. But imagine being a slave and hearing that. Imagine being in that environment. Imagine longing, longing for freedom. And this glorious gospel comes and invades your heart and you are alive in Christ, and you've been given a new identity, and more than anything, you want to be free. You want to be free externally, just like you're free internally. And you think about your family, and you think about the circumstances, and if I could just be free, I could glorify God better with my life. That's obviously where the mind would go if you're a slave who has come to know Christ. That's where it would go for us, that's where it would go for them. So imagine receiving this from Paul. Were you a slave when called? Don't be concerned about it. Don't worry about it. Don't fret. Today in in our world, there are 27 million slaves. More than any other time in history. And God is saving, calling from All over the world and calling some of them to himself and setting them free. Giving them a new identity in Christ. Imagine receiving this. Paul says to those who were called as slaves in Corinth, he says, don't be concerned about it. Don't fret about it. Don't worry about it. You know why he says that? Because they would have. They would have fretted about it. They would have worried about it. He says in, in, in verse uh, 21, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. But what is assumed there is some of them wouldn't be able to. For slaves in, in Corinth and in that time, slaves would earn money. They could get side jobs. They could earn money from the one that they served. And they would set it aside. They would set it aside. They would set it aside. And for some of them, they could save enough to purchase their freedom. But what is, a, is understood and assumed by Paul here is not all of them would be able to do that. And he says to those who would not be able to avail themselves of the opportunity, don't worry, don't fret. What Paul's saying is the economic, the social status, where you come from, who you are, that doesn't matter. Your spiritual condition is what Matters, And he is not, he is not saying in this passage that slavery is good or even that it is kind of okay. We know, Paul writes in First Timothy chapter 1, human trafficking is a sin. It is a great evil. He says in First Timothy 1, starting with verse 8, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Human trafficking is an evil It doesn't mean that we don't, when we read this, we don't think that Paul's saying, well, it's okay or it's good. And we don't um, partner with IJM like our church partners with IJM to seek the freedom of those who are trapped in human trafficking. It doesn't mean that at all. Paul's not contradicting what he writes in 1 Timothy here. What he's saying is if you were called as a slave, don't worry about it. If you can gain your freedom, do it, but don't worry. Serve the Lord in the condition in which he called you. The one who was trapped in slavery could show how a believer can serve God under unbelievable trial and and difficulty. Like those who aren't, can't. They can show how God is a great treasure in the midst of great trial. And Paul's point is that you can serve Christ in whatever condition, whatever condition he has called you. And it's not necessary to leave one station in life simply because you were saved, simply because you were born again. Glorify God, glorify God, glorify God. If God has called you, he's saying if God has called you as a slave, he will give you the grace to live as a slave. I wish I wish we could get. The heart of that of what Paul's saying there. We make so many excuses for our circumstances. When Paul says, for one, in the worst of circumstances, you can glorify God. You have a new identity in Christ, and you can glorify God where he has you. Regardless of your circumstances, it is possible to live a life for the glory of God. I've been reading over the last days in Job, and just reading through the first and second chapter of Job, just, I mean, just in moments, just in moments, his circumstances changed. I mean, just in, the, in those f- few verses... His life is this life of blessing. And then someone comes to him and tells him, your livestock is gone. Someone else comes while he's still standing there. And, And in the midst of just moments, he loses all of his livestock, all of this blessing that God had given to him. And then someone walks up while he's still standing there and says, your kids are gone too. His Circumstances went from blessing to incredible bitterness in just moments. And he knows, as he's standing there, he knows God brought this about. His response is the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. But what does he say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then we get to chapter 2, and and God gives permission to Satan to touch his body and 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 just Horrible, horrible circumstances, so bad that his wife says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? And he glorifies God. He glorifies God. Get to, I think it's chapter 7 where he's, he's making a case for, to his friends and, and he says, I look at, the, at my couch as a place of comfort and he hopes to lie down in comfort on his couch. And he's saying this to God and he says, and yet even there you bring terror in my dreams just horrible circumstances and yet he glorifies God Paul says regardless of your circumstances it is possible to live a life for the glory of God he gives more perspective to this in verses 22 and 23 he says For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Paul's saying, look, if you were called as a slave, that is not who you are. That is not your identity. Your identity is in Christ. You are free. Live as one who has been set free. You no longer live to serve men. You live to serve Christ. And if you were called and you were a free man, you need to realize that is not your identity. That is not who you are. You're a slave to Christ. Paul's point in this is it doesn't matter where you came from, who you are, what your background is, what your circumstances are. We're all slaves. If we're in Christ, we're all slaves of Christ. That is our identity. We were bought with a price. No matter our condition, when we were called, we are now a slave of Christ. He goes in in, in, uh, chapter six, verse 19. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The price was the blood of Jesus Christ. He purchased you to glorify him, glorify him. Whatever circumstances you're in, glorify him with your body. Paul, in Ephesians 6, he writes to the church in Ephesus and he he writes to those who are slaves, who are in Christ. Serve Christ, glorify Christ, reveal Christ in whatever circumstance. In Colossians chapter 3, to all of us, no matter our circumstances, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. No matter your circumstances, no matter your position, no matter your job, no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, you are Christ's. Your identity is Christ. Serve Him. Work for Him. Let others see, just as we talked about in marriage, let others see God glorified by how you fulfill where God has assigned you, where He has placed you. Whatever your condition, serve Him. Serve Christ. You're a slave of Christ you were bought by the blood of Christ. Verse 24 Again Paul says so brothers in whatever condition each was called there let him remain with God. You see the difference in this one? Those last two words. There let him remain with God. With God. That is the difference. That's what's changed. Your external circumstances may not have changed and they may not change. Culturally, economically, slave, free, circumcised, uncircumcised, whatever, but your heart has changed. God is with you now to remain there with God. As a child of God, called by God, each of us, each of us, not just the Corinthians, but each of us have been assigned a place. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Do we believe that, though? Do we believe that God is sovereign over our lives, and he has placed us where he wants us to be? Do we see our our position, our place, what we do as an assignment from the Lord? Whether you're a banker or a teacher or a stay-at-home mom or whatever it is a student that you've been assigned sovereignly by god a place to glorify him and serve him and that there's work for christ work for jesus that he desires and wants you to do in those places that he's assigned you to do we see it that way? Do we believe that? Or are we just so caught up with if I, could just, if I could just change this circumstance, if I could change who I am, if I could change whatever it is, if I could change this outer thing, well, then I could live better for God. It's not true. God has you where he has you for a purpose, and his purpose is to glorify him. He's assigned you a place. But do we see it that way? Our spiritual condition is what matters, not our outward circumstances. Over and over, nine times, nine times he uses this word calling. That should be our focus. If we've been called, we're in Christ. We're different now. Our hopes have changed. Our lives have changed. No matter if our circumstances have changed or not, our lives have radically changed and we can live in the midst of the assignment that the Lord has given to us, the conditions that he has placed us in and called us from. We can live in those conditions for the glory of God. We can point people to Christ. We can do what he's called us to do wherever he has us. Are we in Christ? If you're in Christ and rejoice and obey what he says here, be Remain with God and obey His commands. Those are the two things He tells us to do in this passage. Remain with God and obey His commands. Keep the commandments of God. Nehemiah 1.5, Nehemiah prays, he says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commands. Paul says, do that, do that, love him, be with him, keep his commands. As Christians, we should be the most content people on the planet. We're not people who say, if, if I were just in ministry, or if my wife would just do this, or if my husband were this, then things would be better and I could serve the Lord better. We don't do that. We learn to be content and we learn to glorify God where he has assigned us. We lead the life that the Lord has assigned to us. We think about the calling, the calling of God that he's awakened us, that he's allowed us to see that he's poured out grace on us. Just think about the gospel for a minute, okay? Just think about the gospel, just simplicity of the gospel. All of us, all of us have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're no different than, than anyone else on the planet in that. We didn't figure something out. We just kept sinning. And the wages of sin is death. But God demonstrated his love. He proved his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, still sinning, Christ died for you. And for me, he died. He bought us so that if we would believe in him, we wouldn't perish but have eternal life. God did that. He called us. 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 That's what matters. That's what matters. We can't be people who just go through life wishing that things were different. Things are radically different if you're in Christ. They can't get better. They will never get better than they are until we're in heaven. You've got it as good as it gets. You've been blessed, Ephesians 1, 3, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There's no more that you get. You get more of Jesus, more, 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 more of him. But outwardly, externally, you got it. You got Jesus. You got it. If you're in Christ, we live from that perspective so that if we go into a bank as an employee of the bank, we think God has assigned me to this place. The same God who set me apart, made me holy, made me his own possession. He sent me into this place to proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who I am was culturally whatever is nothing. Christ is all, and he's assigned me to this place. If I'm a a stay-at-home mom, I wake up, and I'm a stay-at-home mom, I have some concerns if I am. But if you are, right, if you wake up and you're a stay-at-home mom, God has assigned me to this place. He has blessed me in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and I can point these kids to the Lord Jesus Christ. I can glorify him where he has assigned me. But are we thinking gospel? Or are we just thinking, I wish things were better for me? They can't get better. You've been called. You've been called. Your eyes have been opened to the gospel live in that glorify god seek to display him and honor him for his call in your life wherever wherever he has assigned you. you guys are going to come up and we're going to sing a song in just a second but i want to um before we do that i want to talk about us singing this song okay It's a song we if, if you've been in the church for an amount of time you may have sung it a lot And the song is, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you, God. But here's the thing that we're good at. We love to sing. We love to sing these words. We don't like to repent. And we don't like to commit. And so we're very good at coming in and singing songs like it's all about you, but our hearts are absent. And we may say we mean it, but we're not committing these things to God. We're not promising and renewing the covenant that he made to us with us when he called us to himself. We're not doing that and we're not repenting. Don't deceive yourselves into thinking that singing is worship. It's not. Worship is Isaiah. After seeing who God is. And being blown away from, by his holiness. And just utterly humbled before God. Woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live a, among a people of unclean lips. And God cleanses him. And God says who will go for us? Who shall we send? And he says here am I. Send me. That is worship. That's worship. Not just singing. It's saying to God wherever you put me. Wherever you send me, whatever place I'm in, I'm for you. I will do what you've called me to do. I will obey you, God. That's worship. And so let's not be people who just sing and make a sound that offends the Lord. Let's worship him. Let's glorify him. Let's sing from our hearts. Let our, let our hearts just pour out. God, it is all about you. It's All about you and I'm tired of making it about me. May we be people who make everything, all of it about you for your glory, for your praise, that you would be known in every tribe, every tongue, every people as the great and awesome and holy God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. You are so good to us. We are unworthy. We're unworthy of your call. We are unworthy of your son. We are unworthy of your grace. We are unworthy of forgiveness. We are unworthy of eternal life. We are unworthy people. We ought to live in the humble spirit of Isaiah. We ought to live there, Lord. And we need you. We need you to help us. We need you to keep our eyes open to who you are, God, that we would be people who truly worship you in spirit and in truth, not just with songs occasionally, but with our lives, that we would respond to you as the great God who has called us out of darkness into your marvelous light who has saved us and set us apart and given us a new identity, that we would be people who walk in that identity. And no matter where you have assigned us to, that we would go in seeking your glory. And if you would be so gracious as to privilege us with the opportunity to point someone else to your greatness, we would be floored with gratitude. Help us, God, I pray. Be glorified through us, I pray.